What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. As always, another special, very fun guest for you today. Good friend of mine, Ryan McKeever. So Ryan is a filmmaker, entrepreneur. He's involved with hemp and cannabis. He's got a, got experience farming hemp. And all in all, he is a professional storyteller. And so I've known Ryan for the last year, year and a half or so. It's been a lot of fun to get to know him. And this podcast, I got to you know further our friendship and relationship. So it was very fascinating to learn things about him and his journey with his entrepreneurship, his filmmaking, and just about his life uh, throughout the the story of this podcast. So Tim, I know this was your first time uh, meeting Ryan. What did you think about the show and how do we start things off here? Yes, there was so much great information in this interview. And as soon as we got done, we were like, we could do three more interviews yeah. with Ryan. Yeah, we there, could have gone three more hours. We, we just scratched the surface, but I thought we got into a lot of good information. So we learned about his love for filmmaking, how he first got that start in filmmaking as a child, how he learned it through school, and then how things really took off for him at Ball State. So mm -hmm. he describes his experience like in a traditional educational setting, and then he talks about working for one of his professors for, and doing projects for Fortune 500 companies out of college, and then talks about what he did after 9-11, kind of transitioning into entrepreneur life um, after 9-11. So I thought hearing the lessons that he learned kind of navigating through different career stages, I think can apply to anybody, whether mm -hmm. you're an entrepreneur uh, or anybody else. Um, I thought there was a lot of good information there. Um, so yeah, I thought learning about that. And then he talks about scaling and growing that business and how he took on high dollar projects, how he hired interns and mentored interns and how he kind of ran the business and developed himself as a leader in that regard. Um, and then we also asked him about when he interviews Fortune 500 companies, when he interviews CEOs, what are his favorite questions to ask? Mm -hmm. How does he get the enriching content out of these interviews? What makes his approach to creating a video about a company or a brand different from someone else? Yeah. I thought that was a really good part of the episode. Great and segment, yeah. Yeah. So what are some other things that you got from it? Uh, I, I was, I'm always fascinated by what other people are doing outside of their craft. And Ryan's an incredible storyteller and filmmaker, but he tells us about some other companies he's investing in. So yeah, he does, does a film, but he's investing in a company that's doing 3D printing, which is, we've seen a little bit, but it hasn't even scratched the surface in terms of how big that can be in today's market. So that and another company that is doing ketamine research uh, for more medicinal use. So he's got some very interesting things in the works, uh, but he talks to us about being careful with your investing because he has been scammed. Uh, he's been screwed out of a lot of money. We're not talking a few hundred bucks here. He does get specific with that a little bit. Uh, so take note in the episode, some advice he gives to us and all you guys as listeners, when you're investing, you really gotta be careful and know who you're investing with. So he talks about reading through the bullshit, always look at the numbers. And then we finish with talking about some cannabis and hemp because he is well-versed in the hemp industry. He has a 10-acre farm in Colorado. So he is, you know, one side of the family, he was raised on a farm. He knows how to farm and cultivate uh, these, these incredible plants. And he talks about the huge medicinal use that we can get from them that we're still learning about. And fortunately, states are picking that up. But he, he brings up his documentary, Hemp Valley, Colorado, uh, and how it's really highlighting the cannabis industry as a whole and everything that goes into it. It's not just CBD and THC. It's a whole lot deeper than that. So he gives us some good insight 
into uh, that industry and how it can help us from finances to health as well. So a lot of amazing content in this episode. We've already uh, decided we have to do at least a round two, probably a round three with Ryan. Um, Just a lot of good info. I think everyone is going to get a ton of value, whether you're in film or not, entrepreneurship or not, just a lot of good life and business overall lessons in this one. You guys are going to take a lot away. Without further ado, episode 196 with Ryan McKeever. Uh, so Ryan, I know I've known you a bit longer, but uh, and we've been hanging out with Tim uh, off the mics. But maybe introduce the audience, who you are, what you do, quick rundown, and then we'll get uh, get into the weeds. Yeah, <laughs> no pun so, intended. So right? go. <laughs> yeah, I actually my... didn't even try. I'm that good though. You are. Like, so I'm gonna that be good. such a good dad. You're my so jokes will be the most embarrassing. I love it. I love it. It's like uh, what's someone said. Um, Oh, I heard Joe Biden was on 60 Minutes, and he asked how long the show was. <laughs> that was Tim Allen, actually. That's uh, awesome. I'm Ryan McKeever, and man, I don't even know where to begin. I'm a filmmaker. I've been doing that for 20 years, and uh, I'm a father first. And uh, Okay, let me start over. Yeah. My name is Ryan McKeever, <laughs> and um, first and foremost, I am a devoted husband and father. Beyond that, um, I'm a filmmaker and entrepreneur. And I dabble in the hemp and cannabis industry. Actually, I wouldn't say I dabble. I would say I'm an expert in the hemp and cannabis industry as well as uh, storytelling and filmmaking and um, really, really trying to uh, narrow all that down and focus into an entrepreneurship future. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at currently. Sweet. (laughs) Which has been an evolution. You know, it's always always learning and always mm-hmm. evolving so i'm not stagnant in one place so yeah 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 i feel like that's important yeah did you always know that you wanted to be a filmmaker how did you kind of get introduced to that what motivated you to go down that well path? yeah that's an interesting one because i didn't really realize that i wanted to be this mm-hmm. until it happened mm-hmm. so i grew up in a split family home my dad uh lived in a log cabin in the woods, literally like in a log cabin in the woods, which was quite an interesting experience. And then my mom married the largest dairy farmer in our county. And so I had this really interesting nature, manual labor experience as Mm -hmm. a child. And so growing up in those two environments, they're pretty isolated from everything else. Like we're in the woods and we're on a farm. Mm -hmm. We're not in the city. I don't have neighbors that are right next door or, you know, kids that I go play kick the can with or whatever. It's, I've got cows and dogs and, you know, the squirrels in the woods. Mm -hmm. And so I really felt like I was on an island, honestly. And so I would, when I would watch movies and which was very rare because we're always busy outside working or, you know, doing riding four wheelers or making trails or doing something, you know, outside, which I still love to this day. Um, but, um, basically what it came down to was when I would see a TV show or a movie, especially like back then it was star Wars and Indiana Jones. And so I would see those things and literally like, I'm a dumb idiot kid. I literally thought that stuff was taking place somewhere else, (laughs) right? So I'm like, man, I want to go do that. You know, I want to go find these artifacts and go out in space, you know? 
So my imagination just started to run wild. Mm -hmm. And then obviously as I started to grow, I realized that was, you know, movies and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so it started to really pull me in that direction um, kind of off my island. Like I would mm -hmm. imagine what that would be like, you know, either making those movies or living that life, you know, outside of the environment I was in. So uh, around middle school, I started um, just kind of went off on a whim. And I remember, and this is kind of funny going way back this far, like I remember in seventh grade, they had, they started this uh, news program in our middle school. And so they were looking for people to read the morning news, you know, mm -hmm. on camera, and that, that was projected through the whole school. Yeah. And so I started to do that. I was nice. like, all right, I could do that, you know, and someone else is writing it, all I gotta do is read it, that's yeah, yeah. easy, you know? Yeah, low pressure. Yeah, so I started doing the morning news at seventh and eighth grade at our middle school. Really enjoyed doing that. Um, it wasn't hard for me to, or stressful for me to, to do that type of thing. And then moving that into high school, one of the reasons I, I started to go into TV and video more in high school was because I didn't want to work on the farm. <laughs> so I literally played. Put in your time. Yeah. I was like, hey, I've been working on the farm since I was in third grade, so yeah. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. So in high school, I started playing pretty much every sport I could. So I played, I was a four sport athlete in high school, not all at the same time, but um, kind of switched from a couple sports throughout my high school career. But I also got involved in the, uh, like the TV program. And so I transitioned from hosting the morning news in middle school to then hosting it in high school. Mm -hmm. And I only did that occasionally. That was because we had a big class, you have to rotate and all that stuff. But kind of doing that at the next level, which, you know, going from middle school to high school, it's, you know, right. the big next level. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, it was interesting because our we were very fortunate, and this was like mid-90s, so our high school at the time in a little tiny town, Laporte, Indiana, um, had a really good TV program. We yeah. had We had good equipment. Equipment, I mean, yeah. for the day, you know, we were still, I mean, of course, we learned reel-to-reel -reel editing and all that stuff, but we were getting into, like, the, the new digital stuff mm -hmm. in, in that time, and so... Um, it was fascinating for me because we had all this really cool equipment. There was a real studio with a control room attached to it, and the, you That's know the cool. windows where you could look through to the to the studio and the set, and seeing like all the lights and the just the environment around a studio and the control room mm -hmm. and how it works, and all of that became very fascinating to me. And yeah. so I, I went from being like news host guy to like, okay, can I make stories can I like take mm -hmm. my can I borrow the camera from the TV studio and take it to my farm and film the cows and ended up doing some really interesting things you know just to kind of experiment mm -hmm. and so that kind of um, really solidified like all right this this is really fun I, I enjoy this as much as I enjoy playing sports mm -hmm. so maybe this could be a career you know and then I started and at my dad's house he had cable so I started watching um, Sports Center, ESPN mm -hmm. Sports nice. Center, yeah. and that was Stuart Scott and oh, yeah. you know the early crew, right? The that classics, were, yeah, yeah, seriously, yeah. just the OG guys that were just awesome. And perfect breakfast, perfect breakfast, yeah, <laughs> every morning. Exactly, yeah. Nostalgic. And, and what was cool <laughs> about it? The news, yeah. <laughs> seriously, yeah, yeah. It it was that was my news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that's where and and they were, at the time, you know, in media and especially sports media. Um, it was really all about the sports. It mm -hmm. wasn't about 
what you see today where there's a political spin or like an injection of a comment that is just stupid and unnecessary. It was about the sports and everyone seemed happy and, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a camaraderie you could tell. And so I was like, wow, maybe I should just go be, I could be a sports center guy. Like, you know, I played four sports in high school. I could go do this. So I decided I wanted to try and become a sports center anchor. Nice. And I was going to ask you if you thought about being an anchor. Yeah. Doing all the news and things. Right. Yeah. And, and I loved sports. I didn't, res- didn't necessarily like the news. I liked sports and the camaraderie that that represented and athletics. And uh, so looking around at colleges uh, and universities, um, a couple were immediately at the top of the list. One of those was USC Film School. Um, nice. which was a no-brainer for me. That's where George Lucas went. That's where Steven okay. Spielberg went. Like, I could follow in their footsteps, you know, and become, like, the next guy and yeah, yeah. whatever. And, um, and then the other one, the other one that I kind of narrowed it down to was Ball State University. You know, Indiana school, like, most people would just kind of pass that over. But if you dig a little deeper and to their telecommunications program, at the time, we were ranked... Uh, Ball State was ranked fourth in the country oh, as wow. far as like whatever that means, Letterman. ranking. Yeah, yeah. Letterman. Because yeah. of Letterman and some of the recent people that had come out from Ball State that are, you know, on Good Morning America or you know CNN or whatever, and so because of that credibility, I was like, wait a second, I don't necessarily need to go all the way to California, even though I was admitted and accepted to USC Film School, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. I was that was like my dream. Um, I was like, well, I could stay back in Indiana. At the time, I was uh, I had a relationship, and so, you know, that was convenient for me to be in Indiana. So I ended up going to Ball State, and uh, Ball State was just kind of where it launched, where everything just was like, just ramped up, skyrocketed to the moon, like mm-hmm. with opportunity, with equipment, with um, expert storytellers that I could look at and. And at the time, you don't really know that's what you're doing. You're mm-hmm. just like, wow, like that guy's got a lot of really interesting information and yeah. he's been through a lot and he's succeeded in these ways. And like, I, how could I do that? You know, that right. kind of yeah. thing. So that, that kind of led me to Ball State. Yeah, no, that's great. And I'm sure yeah. like, cause it sounds like in high school, like you were experimenting, like you, like you, yeah. you took the camera back to the farm, like experiment. When you get to that next level, you said the expert storytellers, how you, who you have access to. Is there anything specific that, like, like any information that really surprised you or any information that really, like, clicked things for you in terms of, like, learning from any of these experts or anything that, like, sticks out to you? Like, any? Yeah. Well, uh, we had, or I had a few professors in college that really made a difference yeah. uh, in my life. One of them, and they were extremely opposite, like, very opposite. But what was cool was they both came from the real world. Um, and this is no slam on anyone who decides to go into education, but kind of the general rule of thumb, if you can't do, you teach. You know, that's really what, what it comes down to at like a college level. And so what I was fortunate enough to experience what were two industry professionals who had achieved great success in the industry, the television and video film industry, and then retired and then came to Ball State to teach mm. because they wanted to share what they learned and knew to the younger generation. And so I got to learn from two industry professionals, not two academics. And that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. 
uh, industry professionals who become academics are who you want to learn from. Academics who are academics because they can't go out in the real world and function, that is not what you want to yeah. like, be taking your advice from. So I was fortunate to learn from two wonderful individuals, Jim Shasky, who is no longer with us, um, an amazing human being. Uh, he Make no mistake, he was an asshole. Like, he was an <laughs> asshole. And... But he was forward, he, w he represented the industry, which there are mostly assholes in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, it is a very forward, upfront, here's who we are, here's what you need to do, you don't do it, you don't fit, leave, you know, that kind of thing. So as early as college, on tests and video projects that we would do, that we would submit to our classes, if you had Jim Shasky, and he didn't like your work, he would staple a McDonald's application to your paper. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. That's just savage. Ouch. I mean, that's savage, right? Yeah. So can you imagine doing that today? Oh, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. yeah you go, you go, go viral, cancel culture. On, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah, you'd lose, your, you'd lose everything. Yeah, seriously. And I mean... I just stapled it. I didn't say anything. It was right? just a blank job application. Seriously, yeah. So... I mean, I thought that was hilarious, you yeah. know, and yeah. it, it really kind of weeded out the people who were not supposed to be there. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, Jim Shasky ran the studios at, or the the ones that made, you know, any difference at our, at Ball State. So I was involved in some of the programming that, that he put on, uh, which was, one of them was called Connections Live, which is really kind of what launched my career. We ended up being nominated for three Emmy Awards. Oh, wow. It was a live, basically it was a live news TV show, um, like a, a magazine style, kind of like 60 Minutes. Um, but we were competing against Indianapolis news stations, like, you know, WTHR and okay. whatever, they, whatever they are. And we ended up beating them out for a, not a student Emmy, professional Emmy. Like we were nominated for three and ended up winning one, like wow. over Indianapolis Damn. professional TV stations. And so... Our professor was just over the moon because yeah. of that, and that was kind of really the first group of Ball State students was were that was my class yeah. that really had all this success, and I and I don't take any of that success. It was a team effort. Like you know, I was just one of the directors. You know, I didn't have a role other than fulfill my job. You know, mm -hmm. but you had um, to do your job to get to the Emmy. Everyone had to do their job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The yeah. best. So. Um, it was a great team effort. We learned an awful lot about what it takes to be in the real world. So that's Jim Shasky. And then, of course, you know, the kind of the fun parts of Jim and experiencing that at Ball State was, you know, after class, uh, when we became like upperclassmen, we would literally go over to his house and smoke blunts. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's... That's a professor that you can that you can like hang with, yeah. you know. That it's you, like asshole or not. You got Emmys and... Yeah. Blunts with with the man. Yeah, right. So you proven industry expert. <laughs> Jay just said my mom's in the next room. <laughs> yeah. well, that that brings up an interesting point too about regardless what industry or area of study you're in, do your research on the professors at your university. Like totally. when you register for classes, like they post the professor name, look them up on LinkedIn. Like right. you'll see their track record exactly. if there's someone who has has done it. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that. That's I mean that's a good lesson for anybody. It sounds like it paid off for you with those professors. Yeah, it did. It really did with them as far as like seeing what it takes and what the real world is mm -hmm. like. The other guy, uh, Rick Thompson, um, he owned a company here in Indianapolis called Richmark. And Rick was equally as successful as Jim Shasky. So Jim Shasky was doing like he directed a few Super Bowls. He used to direct The Young and the Restless. He directed 
like the most powerful and impactful Apple commercials of the 80s, like that was Jim. Mm. Um, Legend in his own right. Rick in his own right is a legend here in Indianapolis and making the Indianapolis, like he didn't move to New York or LA like Jim did and kind of follow that route. He, He lived here in Indy, raised his family, but he made his mark here as well as the Midwest. He did a lot of, um, uh, Rick's company did a lot of like major videos for the Marine Corps, for the armed services. So a lot of those like early commercials you saw for, you know, join the Marines or the ones where the sword goes up in your face and it's like, you guys might be a little too young for that, but it was (laughs) like the, it's a really cool, uh, set, like, um, string of scenes where it's like the marine with the sword down and there's you know of course really cool lighting coming down and the sword every time the marine turns his hand or brings a sword up it's a cut mm-hmm. right so Rick was involved in that and that, that I mean that was a that was a major commercial back in the day and so Rick um, taught me kind of how to so Rick hired me out of school okay. um, he was cool. my professor the last the last six, the last semester of my senior year, I had Rick from Richmark, and um, he because he was still working his business here in Indy, he would only come up one day a week at uh, Ball State and teach like that Monday night class from six to nine p.m. You know, mm-hmm. and so I ended up helping him a lot because I was doing things, I was helping in the studios and whatever. So I became kind of his like TA or um, professor, yeah. assistant, teacher assistant, whatever, and he liked what I was doing and helping him with and he thought that I knew some of the lingo, I guess. And so the day I graduated, he hired me full time, uh, which is pretty unusual, you know, especially in this world. So or in the production world. Um, so I worked for Rick for two years until nine 11 happened. And, um, then my life kind of went, went a different direction. I became an entrepreneur at that point, but mm-hmm. the two years prior to that working with Rick full time, we did some amazing things. I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's, I could go down the list of all the Fortune 500 companies we worked for and all mm-hmm. the sets and c- celebrities and all the people that I've met and stuff through those experiences. But really what that did was solidify in my mind, like, okay, this is my world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to be. That's mm-hmm. so. cool. When you were with Rick in those two years, were there any projects that stood out the most? Like, oh, this is oh, yeah. why I'm, I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was um, <clears throat> there was one project in particular towards the end of my time with him. It was for Allison Transmission, and they're a local Indiana company, great great uh, transmission company. They've got some really cool products, and um, so they came to us and said, "Hey, we are doing this. We're hosting all of our major clients in a tent at the Indy 500." And this is like April when they tell us this, right? And got it. Got five weeks, right? <laughs> so they're like, we're hosting our all of our major clients in this tent at the Indy 500, and we want to showcase a video of how our new Allison transmission is used in all these different facets around the country. <laughs> and we're like, all right, cool. So, and of course, I'm like shy in the corner at this point. You know, I'm like <laughs> 21 or whatever, and so I'm just listening. And basically, what the shoot ended up coming down to was we filmed in. 19 states in 21 days. Wow. We rented John Mellencamp's private jet. Uh, it's a, mm. And um, 
had had an, had an amazing time. So wow. that's awesome. Literally rolling into not rolling, literally flying into like yeah. Vegas and all four corners of the U.S. and just some amazing, amazing cities and sites that we saw in our own private jet for mm-hmm. for 19 days, yeah. literally. And we we'd fly into a location. Our producer who was flying with us would have everything lined up. We'd you know we'd fly in, go to breakfast, go to the shoot, go to the hotel, roll to the airplane get to the next location, repeat that for 19 straight days. It was awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I mean, wow. it was exhausting, but it was awesome. Yeah. It's like rock star life. But you it knew is, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And you're going through all that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, it was like, it's like when I, it's the same feeling I had when I was a kid and watching those Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, where is this stuff yeah. happening? You know, right. and then you're like living it then. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're like, you're in the private jet. You're going to these great places and, you know, for me, it all comes down to the story. So you're capturing these great stories, mm-hmm. but everything else to get to that point is really so cool. You know? Yeah. So it's like this adventurous life. You yeah. Know? That's what was really attractive. And I'm sure you're like also learning how business operates too, because mm-hmm. you're so close to the person who owns it, right? Or did well, you learn anything about entrepreneurship or business through that? Not really. At mm-hmm. that point, I still was like ready to just be Mr. Director guy. You gotcha. Know, I just still wanted to be. Um, you know, Lucas or Spielberg. Yeah. Like, I didn't think there was like a business opportunity okay. there. Yeah. Until 9 11 happened. Yeah. And then one day, right after that happened, um, they kept me on for a couple months after that. But basically, within the advertising industry, right after 9 11, everything shut down. And so all of the advertisements that were on television were pre existing commercials. So no one was producing any new work. Mm. So, wow, yeah. so many okay. ad agencies and production companies went out of business. And so Rick and his wife came to me one day and was, they were like, Ryan, I'm so sorry, but all of the clients that we worked for last year are not doing anything this year. So we're gonna have to let you go. Wow. Yeah. Just like that. Just boom. Did no. you ever see like, obviously nine 11, that's a, unique event do you ever foresee mm-hmm. that having that impact on the industry when that happened no you can't yeah. predict those kind right. of things you know i never I mean, thought about it from that point of yeah, view, like the advertising that. yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. so right after it happened you know of course so i was in chicago when 9-11 happened we were filming in a place called sna studios which is like where michael jordan filmed all of his nike commercials and all okay. that stuff so we were doing this huge shoot for a company called galleons which is now dicks and um uh, 9-11 happened right in f- like literally where I was looking at the Sears Tower like oh is that next like and so yeah, we literally right. ran out of the studio got in our cars and started driving back to Indiana and um, so that was quite an experience oh, but yeah you and so when we got back here you know of course we worked the next day we got to continue mm-hmm. life but what we did was Rick and I went and bought like all these mini flags you know from the mm-hmm. grocery store what the store and we we lined uh, Westfield, or we lined Washington Boulevard down by 38th Street, up and down both sides of the road with American flags. It was awesome. Nice. It was one yeah. of the most memorable things I, I have with Rick um, mm. from just like a non-storytelling experience. It was just a, you know, a country like coming together and yeah. me and this my boss just having this like bonding moment. Um, <clears throat> and then you know you think you're camaraderie and like we're together, and then the business effects happen. Right. And then two weeks later, I'm out of a job. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so what was, what was your mindset when, like, hey Ryan, we got, we got no work for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, like, 
what's kind of your process of, oh shit, I have no work, now what? Mm-hmm. Take us through that into starting kind of your own thing. Yeah, well, I, I kind of paused for a sec um, um, and really kind of evaluated, like, how can I keep my degree, how can I keep working my degree and stay in this industry? Because there is nothing happening. There is nothing going on. So what I kind of deduced was that people are always going to die and they're always going to get married. And so I, I started a wedding video company. Hmm. And I made uh, wedding videos for a few years because people are always going to get married. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's a recession, recession-proof yeah. industry. Yeah. People are going to get married. So you just have to tap into the people who are going to spend money on getting a wedding video. Right. So for the next three or four years, I just focused on that Um, while America was recovering and while Mm. business was kind of getting back going. I really just kind of focused in on raising my family and Mm. um, and uh, doing that. So I went so I went from storytelling to how many wedding videos can I make to make as much money as I can. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, by the end, uh, I was making about. 150 grand a year just making wedding videos. Not bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah. And this was 2000. Very serviceable. Yeah. <laughs> 2005. Yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, I wasn't happy. Away with 150. Yeah. Weren't happy. Okay. Not happy at all because, you know, when you're doing 55 wedding videos a year. Chugging them out. And they all take place in the summer. Yeah. And then the thing you don't even realize when you're, when you do that is how, a couple that you had just had a great experience with turns into where's my shit mm. right when are you gonna have my wedding video done yeah and if it's not a timeline that they like then it becomes a difficult situation mm-hmm. and so when you've got 50 of them to do and it takes yeah. two weeks to edit each one uh, you're looking at okay. January before you're getting your August wedding so that became a nightmare yeah. every day I'm having to deal with like bridezilla number seven <laughs> why she didn't get her wedding video yeah you know and so so I, I was really looking for a way out there that was not what I wanted yeah. to be doing okay um, so slowly during that time I was looking for corporate clients and I ended up getting a couple of corporate clients some local clients um, and really when it all changed for me was uh, meeting, uh, who is a dear friend of mine now, Bill Hargraves. He, w- he was the marketing communications director at Culver Academies. Culver Academies is one of the most magical places on earth. It is an incredible place for, for young adults to learn to be leaders for mm-hmm. the next, for, yeah. like, for their generation. And um, it's like Hogwarts. Uh, yeah, really, if you've never been, we there. played against them and golf. We we played their golf course too. Oh, yeah, nice! Yeah, oh, beautiful yeah. course. I played it's, it many times. It's ridiculous. Right. It, it's, it's like right off. It's like off a t- yeah. It's like off a TV show. It, it looks it like it could. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I wanted to. I had a pitch um, mm. to create a TV show around Culver, and I called it the Academy. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, Culver Shelby didn't, went there. Didn't want to. Oh, go. okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, a good. He's there. a good leader. Oh, nice. It makes okay. sense. Yeah. Makes sense that he went there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a leadership training school. Yeah. yeah. So my so Bill, who I randomly met at a trade show here in Indianapolis. I didn't have anything to do. Took my kids to a trade show where they had like trains and stuff. And Bill's big into trains. Met him there. He had a Culver shirt on. Like, hey, what do you do there? And you know, just general chit chat. Yeah. Called him up. Within a week, I'm pitching. Two weeks, I have a present. I have a proposal. 
and then next thing you know, I'm doing 75 videos for Culver Academies wow. for the next three years for their summer program, which is one of the best summer programs in the world. And um, I mean, we're talking like the president of Mexico's kids go there, right. George Foreman's kids go Jeez. there, like all of the Steinbrenner kids go there and grandkids go there. Like it is the who's who of the elite circle. It's it's a doorway into the point one percenters. Yeah, is what Culver represents. Yep. So after having great success with our 75 videos that we did for, or whatever it was, you know, for um, summer program that took like three years to do, we then got a contract with Culver Academies, the boarding school, not the summer program, two different entities, mm. and um, ended up getting on a 10-year contract wow. with them. Yeah. Wow, that's so a big contract. It was huge. I mean, it, it was, of course, you know, an initial one year, and then... We did some amazing work that first year for the boarding school and ended up winning what's called a case award. Uh, okay. Case award is um, <clears throat> case award is the the highest honor you can receive in educational marketing. Wow. So what was crazy about that was Culver is in the same grouping as Notre Dame, Michigan State, all of the Big Ten schools. Culver's in there, so they're they're in with the they're in competing. With, so Culver is in the race competing against universities, not against high schools. Didn't know that. Yeah. And so we won this case award, kind of like the Emmy thing. We beat out the, you know, the professional Emmy yeah. uh, studio, professional studios in Indy. Um, with, the, uh, with the case award, we beat out, you know, billion-dollar endowment universities such as Notre Dame, Michigan State. Wisconsin, you know, all yeah. of those universities, yeah. Culver's, Culver's video marketing was like the golden standard. Yeah. And those guys are like underneath. Yeah. And it was so cool to see like Culver Academies and then all these universities that you respect like underneath that. Yeah. You, you were the one to create that story. Yeah. That's something to add to the resume right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So that was, yeah. we ended up winning. No three, big deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we ended up winning three case awards over the years with Culver. Okay. Um, we ended up producing 98 videos for their um, boarding school program over 10 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we ended up helping raise um, $475 million for their endowment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. That was it's not incredible. nothing. It's yeah. Not nothing. And then through the Culver channels is really kind of where I started to get like a different mindset, a, you know, because I was literally as I was telling these stories for Culver, which were all about leadership, I'm learning too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I got a better education than some of these Culver students because I'm literally interviewing the best of the best from Culver mm -hmm. to find out about what makes them tick, what what makes a leader tick? Where did you come from? How did you shift your mind? How did you shift your mind around? Like, yeah. how do you balance all these things and, you know, move forward in a positive way? So all of these things really was all of my life experience really kind of, it really kind of started to make sense during the Culver days. Um, and then I started to think like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I can own some businesses instead of just being director guy. Sure. Mm -hmm. Because I knew I owned a production business, but it was very lean at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't want to spend money on hiring staff when I can because because of the winter. Like we have a dead a dead season yeah. here. You know that's um, pretty much November through January when corporate budgets are used up. There is no production done. So for for you know three months of the year, there is very little work to do. 
And so I didn't want to like have to pay salaries during that time frame. So right. I just basically was me as the only employee and everyone else was a subcontractor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first thing I learned was, okay. all right, keep it lean so I can keep the business going. Yeah. Underst- yeah. Smart. Understandable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you got to keep it lean through the, through the tough times. You know, yeah. Otherwise you're, you're screwed. So gotcha. And I would think that transitioning to Culver, like not to shit on anyone who does wedding videos, but mm-hmm. I would have to think that you probably got bored. Like you went from private jets, you know, all these videos in all these states to <laughs> wedding venues, you, you know, Roller it's just, it's, it's a big change. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, after Culver, um, sounds like you got that excitement back to really kind of relit your fire a little bit. Like so the mindset yeah, were, changed. Yeah. 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 I, um, <clears throat> well throughout that time you, you develop relationships with people and you know, those people have connections. And so, um, I went from doing Culver videos, which was just an incredible experience to directing big budget commercials from there. So that was kind of my launching pad into directing big budget commercials. Okay. Um, my friend, who's a great friend still, he actually walked away from his, that's a whole other story, <laughs> walked away from his corporate job, lives in a van out in Colorado on our farm. So anyway, that's, that's good a whole, for him though. Whole like, story. yeah, <laughs> but he was the marketing director for, uh, Hoosier Park and in Indiana Grand Casino, okay. uh, both okay. casinos here in Indiana. And, um, he, they had been working with some local production companies and not really achieving the success that they wanted to when they were spending $150,000 for commercial, you know, you would yeah. expect some results from that. And so I came in with a different approach and they really didn't know what to think of that approach, but I had my friend kind of backing me up. And mm-hmm. so that really was, that made the difference. Um, Jason really helped me uh, get in the door with uh, directing big, big budgets. And so I came in with an approach of instead of, instead of filming like, these three written scripts for your commercial, how about we just come in and film enough B-roll for a dozen commercials? And it'd be the same price, you're just paying me 150 grand, instead of getting three commercials, you're getting enough content for a dozen. Hmm. And they didn't really know what to think of that until I did it. And then I, the first time I did it, we had a, a great two-day shoot, and usually when you're, in a, when, when you're doing commercials, you know, you've got maybe, I don't know, eight to 15 shots in a 30 second commercial, 15 shots is pretty quick. But so think about like how many shots you have to set up and film, right? That all takes time. And so filming those scenes, especially when they're written on a script, they need to work, right? Right. And so if one scripted scene isn't looking or feeling like what you thought it was gonna be, it could throw off your whole commercial. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we created just a bunch of scenarios, like people winning, people pulling the handle, people walking down the aisle, people coming at the camera, splitting the camera, people flashing money, you know, all these different random things. And all of those can be edited into just using a simple voice narration and music, you can make as many commercials as you want. You know, instead of like this, scripted commercial where the guy picks up the crab and is like, look at the crab, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's so stupid. Yeah. You know, so we ended up making... How do you not like that? Right? <laughs> I mean, that was what they were doing before. Yeah. It was just this, you know, trying to be funny but not funny, kind of Midwestern poor comedian type thing. Just working too hard at it, yeah. Just trying, just come on, you guys are tryhards, let's stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so, so basically you went from scripted commercials to B-roll shoots. So we ended up doing B-roll shoots for for the, for the casinos, and they loved it. 
we had so instead of like eight to fifteen shots per commercial, we were delivering a hundred and sixty finished shots. And so you guys do whatever you want with those, yeah. you know? And so wow. they ended up making a dozen commercials. All of them were really good. And, you know, the shots are pretty awesome and nice. yeah. stuff like that. So, so that really helped me um, get confidence directing a big budget operation. And when I mean big budget, that means a lot of responsibility. So mm-hmm. there are 60 actors that I was working with for the, for this one two day shoot we had 60 actors wow. and 30 people on the crew so there's almost and then 10 client you know 10 representatives from the casino mm-hmm. so we had 100 people all eyes on you you know looking at you for to make decisions and i loved it like i yeah. loved it because i have a clear vision on what i want my eye sees what the camera sees and so for me to to capture that is really all it takes is time and a crew yeah, you know, and yeah. so that was a really fun experience for me to, to learn how to work with a large group of people. Yeah, well, and you yeah. probably picked a lot of those tips up from all your time with Culver too. Definitely, how to yeah. lead and organize and manage and make things like, hey, yeah. this is what we're doing. It's Bing, Bing, Bing. Yeah, on to the next. I mean, great point. Yeah, Culver really. If I didn't have Culver, I would have been a scared little sheep up there mm. trying to direct a TV commercial and yeah. relying on people that I shouldn't have been relying on. But instead, I had my own voice. Yep. And I feel like that voice was really solidified by my experience at Culver. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, you got your feet wet in the, the big budget commercial and Yeah. It sounds so it sounds like based on how you described it there, like you said you sent them like hundred and sixty shots. Like it mm-hmm. sounds like you got like the logistics down and everything and on at the beginning of our podcast you define yourself as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, like, going off that experience and obviously you're successful at what you do, what like things go into effective storytelling like what is like at a high level like mm-hmm. obviously there's 160 shots but you're telling a story about the casino like mm-hmm. what does every great story have like in your opinion a why yeah every mm-hmm. story every great story has to have a why like what is the why behind the reason we're here what mm-hmm. is the why behind that person telling me this or why why is that person in this position and how did they get there so it's for me it's all about the why mm-hmm. right so the why tells me everything when i go interview people a lot of times i will start off with a blank piece of paper mm-hmm. because and this is kind of scary for producers and stuff that are that are with me because they're like all right ryan can i see your list of questions and i'm like yep here you go <laughs> you know, i don't have questions i have conversations yeah right so that's really what i love to do is have uh, conversations with people and so my style that i've coined my style of storytelling is called interview-based storytelling and that's i've coined that from the very beginning and so when i do my videos everything really revolves around the subject matter that I've interviewed. I mm-hmm. try not to use narration because that's generally scripted. Mm-hmm. I generally try and just get content out of people yeah. just by having conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because whereas I may ask a question and you answer that question in a certain way, the reason I ask that question a particular way is to get a certain answer, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so if you do that, a few times over and over with the same subject and just asking questions a different way, you can really get to a person's why. Definitely. And that's really what it is for me. Now, going back to the casino stuff, there really isn't much more of a why other than give me my paycheck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a casino. Yeah, right. And honestly, 
And honestly, I, um, I probably won't ever work with casinos again um, because it really goes against my like morals uh, mm-hmm. at this point. Then it was just for a paycheck. Um, now what I realized was when I was doing the casino commercials, we're using pretty models and people who, are, who look successful and who look like they have money and who are young and healthy. That is not who is in the casino, <laughs> right? You have, you know, Grandma Irene pulling her oxygen tank behind her, lighting up her cigarette when oh, she sits make, down. That at, didn't make the commercial? That did not oh, make the commercial. Geez. I was in the casino a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. pretty accurate. And so I started to have a, I started to struggle with that. I mm-hmm. was like, listen, we are not representing accurately who your audience is. Sure. And not only that, this is designed to get people to feed their addiction, right? This is a problem. Like casinos are a problem. You know, it is not somewhere where people go and make money. It is where you go to give money to a casino corporation. And so I started to really like, all right, maybe I don't want to do this kind of stuff, you know, because now what I'm doing is encouraging people. I mean, I'm encouraging an addiction Hmm. um, with people's finances who the people who go to the casinos can't afford it anyway right and so I, I started to like really start to question you know what I was doing yeah <laughs> and why I was doing it sounds so like you not... learned something valuable though yeah definitely yeah. yeah it's it's like all right do I want the hundred and fifty thousand dollar paycheck or do I want to contribute to someone's downfall right. mm. you know yeah so it's big yeah do you think the casino was trying to make any attempt to change their audience no no. Okay. No. I mean, oh, you mean like bring like, it to a newer, that's younger? Why, like, is that why they were portraying themselves in such a way to try to attract that? Yeah. To change the the clientele. Yeah, but. You're, you're right. I spoke too soon. You, you probably. I mean, that's probably what they were doing. But when you think about it, like you've never seen a casino commercial with an old person, right? With a you know no. oxygen. It's not always. Yeah, a hun- it's not always a hundred percent authentic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It usually is. Trying to really positive this yeah. thing up. And yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I yeah. Like no. Cards, you guys. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and and you know I don't mind slamming the casinos. Mm. I just you know they're yeah. they are what they are. Yeah. 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 Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um. So you, you mentioned I want to just go back briefly scaling business. Mm-hmm. You, you wanted to stay super lean. Uh, at this point, what are some indicators where you know it is time to scale up? That's a good question because I've never taken a business class. <laughs> okay. okay, I've never. I've only taken video classes and learned the business like by trial and error. Yeah. And by trial Rather and error, than any degree you'll get from business school anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so the scale up is difficult for a person in production um, because it's such a fickle industry, right? Clients come and go, um, industries change, uh, especially digital industries change so quickly. And, um, you know, just like probably with a lot of industries, you know, we're competing against younger people who don't have to pay the bigger bills that older people have to pay. And what I mean by that is like, let's say guys just come out of college and you know, they start a little video production company and they're good at what they do. And okay. So there might be a 
there might be a visual difference between what we do and they do, but it's not that great enough of a visual difference for people to say, okay, instead of paying these young guys four grand, we're gonna pay Ryan and his crew 19 grand. Mm -hmm. Like the, so these people can come in and say that and get that project because they don't have to pay for three kids and an office space and you know, a $20,000 camera or whatever it is. Gotcha, you know, there's yeah. a lot of different things that happen within the industry that affects the ability for us to scale. Um, and so in order to scale in production, uh, you need to have, you need to have TV shows, you need to have agency connections where you are on a, a locked contract that has penalties if they break that contract. Um, so as far as me, I've never scaled. Like I've been a one man band for 22 years and what I do in what I've done, what I did a long time ago was I created an internship program. Mm. And so that That's really cool. helps me. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't scale was because <clears throat> it's hard to find someone who can do what you do and with the expect expectations that you have of that person when you're like, oh man, I could just do that without explaining it to you and I could have it done four times faster. And then you have to deal with the idea of who are the other people in the entertainment industry? Mm. Are you gonna get along with them? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times um, the younger generation of uh, entertainment professionals think that they are the shit. Like they come into an environment telling their boss what to do. And so I've had that experience a couple times and it's really kind of taken me aback. Like, yeah. When I was in college, I was willing to do the all-night lab work, yeah. go to the four in the morning shoot. If someone had an opportunity with like a Fortune 500 company and invited me on that shoot, I would not even think about going to my classes and go do that. Yeah. It's how high, high. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't come shoot for Harley Davidson with you because I have a and a non-TV class at three o'clock that's going over some random thing. And I'm like, listen, man, like this just happened two weeks ago. I'm like, listen, man, like this is an opportunity for you to put Harley Davidson on your resume. And yeah, right. the guy was like, I grew up right down the road from Harley Davidson. I don't need, and I'm like. Sick, dude. You don't get it. Here. Yeah. yeah. You are, you're wasting your money. Go go to McDonald's. <laughs> Who doesn't know what Harley Davidson is? Right, right. So so do you, do you uh, email him a McDonald's application? Yeah, I should. Have, yeah. <laughs> well, that would get my internship program canceled. <laughs> so so what I did was I um I wherever I am I tap into the local universities, the the video departments, the local universities, and I create. Uh, so every state has a workforce development program or a workforce or whatever they call it, you know, in their particular state. So there is money available for internship programs and people don't, business owners don't generally realize that. And so mm -hmm. it just takes effort. So basically I would go to the university, do a presentation to, uh, you know, the class of video professionals, the video wannabes that want to, you know, do what we do and look for an intern and try and select the best one out of the group, the guy that is doing just like what I did, the work outside of the class, the guy that's making his own shows, that's you know making his own documentary storytelling and showing people what he can do because he's showing his passion, not just going to class and fulfilling the obligation. Right. And so, um, so then I combined the the university um, 
effort that I've done with the workforce effort and ended up creating a program where I run the interns through the workforce program of the state and then the, the state pays the intern to work for me for 360 hours. That's cool. Wow. So that so that is really the only way that I bring on anyone that's not a freelancer um, is an intern. So I currently have four interns right now, um, and my wife and I own a number of different companies at this point. And so we have one intern for each of our for each for four companies. We have one one intern. That's per company. fantastic. Yeah. Wow. And so we don't have to pay them. Right. They're trying to you know prove their their worth in the real world, right? And getting real world experience and they're getting credits and they're getting paid. Yeah. And so it's a win-win for everybody. We get, you know, we get to look and try and find like exceptional talent and they get, you know, a benefit from what they're doing as well. Right. So I don't have to take a big risk on hiring someone, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah, that's a good that's a I, good deal. I go through an internship program and then the good interns, I still don't hire them. There, you know, there's only been out of 16 interns I've had, there've been maybe two that I would hire full time. Okay. Um, usually those people go freelance because they know they're good, yeah. right? And um, they're like identify, I identify them as being capable and good. And so they also know that. And so they're the guys that are going to own their own company someday. They don't want to work for someone like me. Right. But I will give them the opportunity to freelance for us. Mm -hmm. And then they can do what, what I did 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the scaling situation. Yeah. Um, now, we're moving into other businesses, which will require scaling. Um, so like tech companies, uh, that kind of stuff. Okay. Like that is really where you need people, right? And so what we're, my wife and I are doing now is um, we're taking more of a, more of like a, uh, an, like a investor approach. Um, so all of these people that we that were around for video and all the companies that were around, especially in the hemp industry, a lot of emerging companies, um, what we're doing is as we interview these people for our, our, our shows, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon, um, we're evaluating that company. So, okay. I'm, so I'm there as a storyteller, yep. but I'm also evaluating them. I'm like, all right. So, how's your company? How's your numbers? Like, sure. what are you doing? Where are your, you know, where's your channels? What are your customers like? Like, and then I look at the product, and then I'm like, okay, is this a comp? Because of all my, I mean, I literally have done over five thousand interviews, just like what we're doing right now on camera yeah. with CEOs, celebrities, presidents, Fortune five hundred people, like anyone you can probably imagine is someone. <laughs> Joe <that>. Rogan, who? <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to talk to Joe. Yeah. Um, I really would. Yeah, um, that's so many you, conversations. Yeah, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. That's, oh a, lot of, that's a lot of good reps too. Because like, yeah. I mean, they say like ten thousand is where you become truly ten thousand hours or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. ask you, do you have any like? Like favorite questions you like to ask? Like I'm sure you have like a question that you ask in multiple different ways, but yeah. are there any like questions that really open up a lot? About what got you here? Like yeah. how did you get here? Mm -hmm. Because so when I'm talking to CEOs, at that point they are already extremely successful. Right. So I really start them out like I, I kind of I don't blindside them, but they don't expect where this conversation starts. So I I always come in like, you know, it's I always start the conversation with just casual small tidbits of information mm -hmm. like and it usually revolves around me seeing something in their office or knowing just a tiny little bit about them like what they like to do or where they went to school or how many kids they have or whatever so i start personal 
right? I start very personal. Like, tell me about your childhood and what led us to this point mm. here. Where, how did you get to be CEO of Abbott Labs? Yeah. You know, mm. so you know all of these people that are massively successful started from somewhere, and you know we we're all just human. So I really love humans as far as their stories because every story is different and everyone has a story and they're all so important you know right. because we've all been on a great journey you know we're fighting our own war to, we're fighting our own battle you know by ourselves but collectively we are also going through time together you know yeah. so it's it's like this i don't know i just feel like a pull to to really um i guess bond with people mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm so it would be my my always my question is how'd you get here? Yeah, you know, and they're like, wow, wow, okay, how'd we get here? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's a lot. It's like, well, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. because then you can go into a question about this experience. Yeah, and the peeling the onion, like we've talked about layers, Tim. Yeah, the first layer exactly. is how'd you get here, and then there's yeah. like millions of questions, sub questions yeah. you can answer below yeah. that. And then once you get into the business aspect of things, it's pretty easy. I mean, they can roll that off. You know, yeah, that's what sure. they do on a daily basis, right? So sure. they can just regurgitate. Yeah. But the real meat, the real meat of the story comes from the personal conversations. That's why. That's why I start off with a blank piece of paper. Definitely. Right. Yeah. I just yeah. start with personal, and then we get into business, and then by that time we've already had a personal connection. All five thousand people. Like, yeah. I have had no one that is like, fuck you or get out of here. I've had yeah. no one wow. treat me that way. It is always a connection. Always. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really, I feel very fortunate that way. Yeah. So. And I, I, I would be bummed if, if there were any of those because you're mm-hmm. here trying to positively uh, expose their story. Mm-hmm. And their, exactly. their product or service or business, yeah. whatever. Right. And you're there to promote them. Right. Yeah. So someone's like, oh, fuck you, man. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, right. You just fuck you the best. Right, exactly. Well, so. it's, it's, it's not that. It's like they have to remember they, they're on camera, right? They're yeah. on cam- My camera's right there. Yeah. So how they react to me is how they're going to react to the public because mm-hmm. that's on camera. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Right. Good point. Yeah. 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 So they, most of the people are pretty aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one of the greatest tricks a good interviewer, has is to, to make the other person forget that they're on camera. Mm. Like that is mm-hmm. the holy grail right there. When I make you forget you're being interviewed, that's when the greatest stuff comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah like definitely. That's, that's the good. And that's, that's just good. a different comfort level. Yeah. Like they're relaxed and... Right. And, that, and I hate to say this, that is me not caring, right? That is me saying, we're, I'm not nervous about talking to you, big $30 million a year guy. Like... Yeah, I'm, I've got my own millions. I don't need anything from you. Yeah. I want to hear about you as a human being. Like right. the fact that you have a company with 20,000 people, man, great job. Like, yeah. But that doesn't make me feel anything. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So really, I'm in that position as I don't care who you are or what you've done because it doesn't affect how I feel or how I am in this certain situation. Mm. I want you to show me who you are, right? In words, in conversation. And yeah. so that's what I try and get out of these people. I like and so that. every conversation is like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. And I feel like anytime that you can 
I think it's a sex, successful interview when you can get them to evaluate, either evaluate new information or eva- or access a memory that maybe they haven't accessed in quite a while. Exactly. Get them talking about st- stuff that no one asked them about. That's kind mm-hmm. of what we do with like our interviews too. Is like we like to see like what podcast they've been on, what questions is everybody else asking. Like how can we ask a different question? Because mm-hmm. you say they they speak to the public about the business side, regurgitating it because that's what they do. But yeah, I'm sure it's a completely different level when you can get them to talk about something different. Well, well, it makes it feel good because sometimes when you start off with that personal approach, um, they are so tied into their business and they know that's why they're there to be interviewed, mm-hmm. what they're to be interviewed about. But when you come at it from a different angle and then get them to open up in a personal way, sometimes there's revelations. They're on sure. camera where mm-hmm. these people are like, you know, thinking about their billion dollar company in a different way because of how we have had a conversation in mm-hmm. our interview. And so it's, a, it's an interesting experience to know and to have people tell you that you have influenced a billion dollar brand. Like that's right. pretty cool. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I love the fact that like a simple conversation with someone can have a company wide effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? That's awesome. And mm-hmm. no one will forget you. Yeah. When you do that. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, no one's going to forget like, oh man, this guy, Ryan, he made yeah. me think about this way and that way. And yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like you get that so much like, I'm a master of my craft. I don't, I, I would, <clears throat> I mean, I can probably say that, but I, I just feel like I, I just love what I do. Sure. You know, I love it. And um, to me, it just seems like part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't seem like a craft that I have to work on anymore because my craft is talking to people, you know, and yeah. interviewing people and setting up cameras and doing lighting and all that stuff. Like anyone can do that. You know, it's, it's the actual conversation that means the most. And that's why, that's why when, I, when we're talking about big clients, we're not looking for every client. We're looking for the right client. And so we're not looking for the client who's going to say, oh, these guys that just came out of school are going to do this for 4000 Why is your quote 19000 So for a company like that that doesn't understand the difference of quality between a $4,000 quote and a $19,000 quote because the visuals might be somewhat similar, they're missing the whole point that, the conversation and the interview-based storytelling is what's going to make the difference. Hmm. So one of my one of my uh, one of my corporate clients is an international company, multi-billion-dollar company, and um, they basically have realized that the storytelling is the most important part of any video they do. So they my prices started going up over the years and they were like, well, Ryan, I don't think we can pay you 15 grand to come do one day project. (laughs) And I'm like, that's fine. You know, I'll still be here. Like you call me when, you know, when you need me again. So they went with, you know, the cheaper, like younger people. And while their shots were cool, right? Shots can be cool. The story and the interviews were so bad that they didn't want to use the video. And so what the company is left with then is regret, right? So instead of like going with the, you know, the higher price, smarter option to get the best results, they went cheap and it probably, and number one, it could impact that person's job who made that decision. So there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like fallout from making the wrong decision when it comes to high end storytelling, um, on the, on the, on the corporate company side of things. And so we're looking for the companies that understand that interview-based storytelling is important. So this company I'm talking about, they use my video, the sales team uses our videos 
when they're selling their $150 million products. And so they literally play the video in the sales presentation. And it, so I've done so much work for this company. Um, they have verticals in many different spaces like um, e-commerce and grocery delivery and, you know, cold food storage and food storage and, you know, equipment storage and retrieval and um, palletization, automation, that kind of thing. So literally when they're in their uh, presentations trying to get, you know, let's say Tesla to buy a $150 million project from this company, they literally just play my video that's relevant to their industry. And then they're like, all right, anybody have any questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm literally, so what I'm doing now is I'm talking to the company about being a salesperson. I'm like, listen, I know all of your products inside yeah. and out. I'm the guy that interviews all the CEOs of the companies we go and do project, do uh, case studies for. How about I just be an outside salesman for you guys? I, I could sell just as good as your sales guys. Yeah. You know, just don't give me a salary. Just give me like, you know, half a point on the commission. Yeah. You know, Jeez. $150 million projects. I'll take half a point on that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so chalk one up. Yeah. So, Even a half one's fine. Yeah. So my entrepreneurship mind is thinking like, okay, now I'm, I'm seeing the value that we're providing to these big mm -hmm. companies. How can I now capitalize that on what I would call a residual basis? And that is me doing something that I'm already doing, which is telling these stories, but then just convincing someone else to, to buy into this product yeah. and then getting, getting money off of that. Like that's, that's kind of the next evolution of where I'm going with my video work is um, helping them achieve the sales that they want to achieve, not just making their videos. Yeah, so that's I, awesome. Yeah. And you talked about investing into your evaluating the companies. You're not just doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, would you want to buy into that? And you referenced earlier that you had started doing more investing, uh, yeah. and how filmmaking has led to that. Uh, whatever you can say, what kind of companies are you getting into right now? Mm -hmm. What's what's really working for you? Yeah, yeah. What are you what are you going after? Well, so, and by investing, um, that that's a whole nother mindset and ball game. Like, you know, just so we're in the hemp and cannabis industry. And so that's an emerging industry in our country. And um, so I see a lot of like emerging opportunities in that space. And so um, so what we're looking for are companies that have a product or a service that can scale, like you we were talking about earlier, and that has exponential growth. Um, and so. There's some companies out there, and, and by no means have we uh, been an expert investor. Um, <clears throat> at one of my first investments, I trusted someone over uh, really looking at the numbers and dissecting those numbers and what they meant, and that has proven to be a, an unfortunate situation. Mm. Um, so I didn't want to lead with the bad investment. Because you know, you all have everyone has bad investments at some point in their life. You know, whether it's a car, a relationship, a house, or whatever, um, or a business. Um, but I've learned a lot about people as an investor. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, I've learned a ton about people as an interviewer. But I've learned more about people as an investor because they have a purpose, and that purpose is to get your money. And so they are going to tell you, some people will tell you whatever you want to hear. And half of it might not be true, might all be true, none of it might be true. You don't know. And so we're investing in companies that um, are emerging, that are startups, that are young, that have um, huge potential for growth. 
um, with that has come some heartache, and with that has come some great opportunities. So it's a it's a double edged sword. Yeah, it's you're putting your money on someone else's effort, and you better hope that that effort is what they told you it is. Yeah, you know. So we're investing in um, we've invested in an alternative uh, tobacco product for chew. So imagine like a, a non-tobacco um, chew that doesn't have cancer-causing agents or anything like that. Um, so we invested a little bit in there. We've invested some. Could have used that like six, seven years ago, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. All through college, a few years after, man. Oh yeah, loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Do you still dip? Oh no 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 okay no it's yeah it's been five six years at least. Oh really okay yeah cancer is nice. like one of my biggest fears so I was like All right. yeah. yeah I got out on skates knock on wood. It's time. Yeah, it's had my time. fun. I did yeah. college. We're out. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like a company like that could do really well, you oh, know, yeah. with the right leadership. Absolutely. Yep. Right. So that's the problem we're having now. Is um, uh, in that particular investment, you know, the leader of the company isn't necessarily what uh, he said he was, and wasn't doing necessarily the numbers that mm. they said they were doing. And that's a big problem yeah. uh, when you're a leader and you're lying to your investors. Uh, that is a big problem. <laughs> so, the so that was one company. Then another company is a tech company, um, and that's that's about uh, basically printing, like three D printing. And that company is creating the world's largest network of three uh, D printers and going to be moving into the manufacturing space. So filling the void of manufacturing in our country with already existing 3D printers in people's homes or um, work environments. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting company uh, that we've invested in. And then we're also really closely looking at um, an alternative medicine company uh, who does, <clears throat> who does exper I guess it's not experiments at this point, it's, it's proven beneficial, but uh, a company that does microdosing um, ketamine and psilocybin therapies for people who suffer from addiction or PTSD or really just need like a, a reworked channel in their brain, sure, you know, yeah. to have a positive uh, spin on things. Yeah, and I, I, well, I like to think that that is the direction we're going. That's good diversification, too. Uh, yeah. I want to go back as well, what you said about um, you've learned a lot more from people as an investor, mm -hmm. is there anything that you've learned about like knowing how to read bullshit and versus like just reading people's authenticity? Anything that you've learned through that well, to do it better for yourself? I've been scammed twice over the past year mm -hmm. uh, for over a hundred grand. And um, both of those two gentlemen who scammed us were the most convincing and most, uh, I guess, the most um, upfront type of people that would say how good things are. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so really this last year is the only time in my life I've really ever been taken advantage of like that. And that's because I'm looking to do new things, mm -hmm. right? And so what I didn't realize was and this this really hit me hard because it really it really takes a toll on what I think of others. Um, what really hit me hard was the fact that um, n like people can present themselves as a good person and then do an action that will prove that they're not, 
And until that action happens and you think that that person is a good person, um, you're like, you're like all on board. And then once you get crushed by like, all right, wait a second. You mean there wasn't a company? Like you just put yeah. this money in your bank account, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, there, what I've found is because doing all those interviews, you know, you think you'd be able to like tell who somebody is, but the problem is the people that have ill will against you or they, they are greedy and they want to steal your money. Like that is their why. Yeah. That is their why. And so that is, they're very good at that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the level that we're at, when we're talking investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, they, at <clears> that <throat> point, they have perfected the game, mm-hmm. you know? So the advice I would give is don't ever trust anyone when they're asking you for money. Always base it on numbers. Always. Always. If they don't have the right numbers, if their accounting firm isn't giving you what you want for investing numbers, like uh, previous you know years, income, tax return, whatever, whatever the numbers are, whatever metrics you want to evaluate that investment on, you need to look at the numbers and not listen to the people mm. because the numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. People do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that's the advice I would give is uh, look at numbers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Don't trust the people because I, listen, I was in a fraternity in college and there is a huge bond with fraternity members. So basically, you know, I met this guy. He was, uh, he had a, so, okay, I met this guy in Florida when I was down there doing an interview for my show, for one of my shows, and he was the leader of the hemp industry in Florida, right? And he had this $1 billion um, proposal in with uh, the Build Back Better bill, and he was going to have this big billion-dollar thing built on Florida's Space Coast for hemp processing and research. And so that's what I was interviewing him about. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the interview, he tells me about this new company he's got and all this stuff and I, or that he's starting and he's looking for investors for. And then he's, I see his ring on his finger and I was like, oh my gosh, I think we're in the same fraternity. And we start talking about it and sure enough, did the secret handshake and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was, right? Yeah. And so immediately, boom, I trust this guy. Right. There's a bond. Like I know my fraternity brothers, I trust them all. Like we have this togetherness, this bond. Like I would never screw over another fraternity member. Well. Yeah, after we invested $150,000 in this guy's company, uh, turns out he's full of shit and uh, nothing's real. So, Jeez. yeah, and he's a fraternity member, right? He's a right. brother of like, mine. And who knows a lot of people. A lot of people know him. Yeah. Like, that's just super bold. Yeah, so, so really what he has triggered is a true crime show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he has no idea, but we've been filming the whole time. And um, so... You know, unfortunately for him, um, yeah. one way or another, whether it's uh, through the FBI or through television, yeah. like that story's coming it's out. Happening, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Life comes at you fast. It really does. You don't stop to look around once in a while. Yeah. You can miss it. <laughs> Seriously. Bueller. Bueller. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Ryan, I know you got uh, other meetings uh, today, so I want to make sure we get everything in, and we always kind of ask a last question as well. But. Uh, 
anything that we haven't dabbled in yet, I know we've covered quite a bit, uh, but anything that you want to make sure we still touch on mm-hmm. today? Well, I think it's important to talk about uh, cannabis. I mean, that's, yep. um, I think originally kind of why we were connected was the hemp industry and through um, my passion for CBD and what CBD can do for people and, as a medicine. And so that, uh, that is something I really would like to touch on is um, really the why behind what we're, why we're here today. Yep. And, and really that all comes down to uh, a documentary that my wife and I started doing in 2019 when I moved to Colorado part-time in 2018 and got remarried, my wife has, I didn't realize it at the time, she had a 10-acre farm. So in 2019, knowing the craze of CBD, and, and I had done work in the CBD world before doing some interviewing, and so I knew that CBD had a great effect on, on certain things, right, in, in helpful ways. And so I asked my wife, I said, how about we make this 10-acre farm into a hemp farm? Yeah. Wow, did that lead us down a <laughs> down a rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> hear me out. Just picture this real quick. Right. Yeah. Just just take a step back. Let's yeah, start yeah, the yeah. whole podcast over, yeah. and we'll start with hemp. Yeah, yeah. we could. <laughs> um, literally, but so 2019, instead of filming other TV shows or directing other commercials or whatever, we turned my company's cameras on us. And so we became the subjects of our own documentary series about becoming hemp farmers for CBD. Mm-hmm. And that was 2000, 2019, all the way through COVID, all the way through 2021. So we basically filmed for 18 months, uh, becoming hemp farmers, suffering through COVID, having the hemp industry collapse, the CBD hemp industry collapse, going from literally going from $25 a pound for biomass, which is what you extract CBD from, $25 a pound to $0.85 a pound in one season. So you have a 90% collapse of the market in one season. Mm. And that's that stems from the hemp plant is one of the most efficient plants on earth when it comes to the production of oil. And so it really you really only need between 24 and 30 pounds of biomass material and a good hemp grower can do that in like four plants. Like some of our plants are 25 pounds wet, you know, 5 pounds dry. I mean that's a big a big plant. Yeah. And so when the hemp plant can produce 1 kilo of oil or 1 liter of oil um, with 24 pounds of material and that's just three or four plants. I mean, on our 10-acre farm, we were growing 12,000 plants. So when you multiply that by the entire country, what happened in 2018 and 2019 resulted in a 10-year surplus of CBD oil for this country, for our country. Mm. And so there is absolutely no need for anyone to grow CBD hemp for the next decade because we (laughs) have all of what we need. Mm. But that information is not out there, so people don't know that. So mom and pop farmer guy who you know is like oh my gosh did you hear about this person making all this money in cbd switching around their entire farm they're going to go bankrupt because there is five dollars a pound in cost to grow hemp and if you're only selling it for 85 cents a pound that doesn't make any sense right (laughs) yeah yeah so that's that really became our focus for the past two years was growing hemp on our hemp farm, making hemp products that we really believe in, 
um, continuing to film for our docuseries, which is all about hemp. Um, the show is called uh, Hemp Valley, Colorado. So think of um, this valley where we live in Colorado is called the Hemp Valley. And our show is called Hemp Valley, Colorado. We have enough material for two seasons, and we've already edited uh, our pilot, and so we're selling that right now. And so we're, we're not awesome. sure where it's going to end up, but yeah, the that's point, great. Yeah, the 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 whole point of the whole thing was our why is CBD as medicine is effective, mm-hmm. and so really we kind of went down that rabbit hole and spent, nice. spent two years doing that. I so love it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's uh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's how we got connected because yeah. of. Kyle and CBD and the marijuana industry and it's right. I've I've met nothing but amazing people. Yeah, in the industry. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just fun to hear how you started and why you did it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and so. we still believe in CBD to this day. Yeah. Um, now CBD is a so CBD is like the sum of all the parts of the hemp plant, right? Um, CBD has what's called an entourage effect. So the sum of all those parts create an overall effect for people. Um, What our research and interviews really have concluded is that the minor cannabinoids within the overall sum of the CBD, of the CBD, so the minor cannabinoids broken down into into their individual minors um, have a far greater effect, specific effect on the human body than does CBD as just the overall component uh, or as an overall compound. So, um, and even the, and the government is just now recently coming out with data that suggests that very same thing. And we've known this for a while because of all the research that we've done. We interview people in labs. We interview patients. We interview, you know, all sorts of people who are taking these things, uh, minor cannabinoids and CBD as a whole. And so what we found is that really breaking it down, there are four major uh, minor cannabinoids well, they're not majors, they're minors. So breaking it down, there are four minor cannabinoids that really will have an effect on medicine moving forward. And the only reason it's not having an effect now is because the pharmaceutical, physician, and insurance industries have not yet figured out how to capitalize monetarily on these minor cannabinoids. But it's coming, don't worry. Mm, they're it's buying coming. them. They're definitely buying them, for sure. Pfizer bought that one CBG company. Right. So you've got so that's one of the one of the minor cannabinoids that's really going to be. Um, I have a feeling that the feds are going to come out with a statement that says these four minor cannabinoids have an effect, a medicinal mm. effect. Here's how they can be used. One of them is CBN. One of them is CBDV. One of them is CBG, and one is CBC. And so all of those have different effects on the body. And if you can imagine, and this is, we're talking about the hemp plant. The hemp plant is, in my um, understanding of plants in our world, is the most incredible plant we have on earth. Um, It can make everything from ropes to plastic to a sleep medicine to an energy medicine from the same same plant. So when you're talking about my one plant that I grow, I can break down those cannabinoids and CBN will put me to sleep just like morphine will. Like if I take too much of that, like bam, you're out. We only put, we put five milligrams of CBN in our sleep product 
and we find that it has a great effect on people needing to go to sleep. Huh. And so the hope is that people will replace something like an Ambien or a melatonin with a CBN product because that that's what you need. You need something that's not going to that's not manufactured in a chemical environment or a lab. You need something that's natural right. to help you sleep instead of something that's going to get you addicted. Right. So CBN is good for sleeping. CBDV is good for energy. And those literally come from the same plant. So how can you have two things that come from the same plant that one puts you to sleep and one gives you energy? It's right. like, I mean, that's, a, that's incredible, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so these minor cannabinoids are really where the industry is going. We've known that for a long time. That's partly what our show is about. Yeah. And... Um, you know, then moving into season two of our show, that's where we kind of focus in on the uh, marijuana industry. Whoops, out Fucking there too, pro man. <laughs> Love it. Well, I talk a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's all good. No, you. We were getting we're getting really good content yeah, here. This is, good. Okay. Yeah, hopefully this, this is what we came for. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So the um, so the <clears throat> marijuana thing is a whole separate thing, and that has its own medicinal benefits. Um, people think of marijuana as more recreational. Of course, when you think of marijuana, you also think of cancer patients, um, you know, that type of thing. So marijuana and, and CBD are totally different. Do you call? Oh, you go. Okay. Sorry. So marijuana and marijuana and CBD are totally different. The interesting thing is they come from the same plant family. They all come from the cannabis plant, right? Cannabis is not marijuana. Cannabis is hemp and marijuana. It's the same plant family. Yeah. Um, people just, you know, have coined cannabis as weed. Mm -hmm. so, um, so the marijuana industry, as we've seen states come online, you know, being uh, going from illegal to, rec or to medical to then recreational, uh, what you're finding is... Um, America wants it, you know, uh, America wants this as medicine. Um, and so that's obviously what's going to happen, you know, but the problem with what's going to happen is it's going to be the same thing that happened in the CBD world. You're going to have a collapse, uh, because everyone and their brother is like, Oh my gosh, marijuana is legal. I want to be a grower. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and so everyone's going to grow marijuana. And then the same thing that's, that happened to CBD in 2019 will happen to marijuana. Just not yet. So, and you can even watch these key indicators. So in 2019, a price for a pound of marijuana was about 2,800 bucks, right? For a top shelf pound of marijuana, about $2,800 today. I could get that same pound for 600 bucks Wow! with the right connections, wow. you know? So yeah. you're talking about already seeing a collapse of the market and we're only, you know, marijuana is only legal in like 17 states or right. whatever it is. So, so you're going to see a huge collapse in another market that, that hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Oh man. And, and see you, the ones who really want to stick with it. Yeah. Right. Well, so the key to, to making any money in CBD or marijuana is deep pockets like you have got well there's two things deep pockets and a celebrity brand so mom and pop stores mom and pop farmers mom and pop brands that have their stuff on the farmers market like i hope they can pay the bills that way because they're not going to be millionaires making that stuff on their own farm like they have to be doing that their why has to be for the positive medicinal benefit of others. Mm -hmm. Because the only people that are gonna be making money 
in the CBD and marijuana, I mean, the CBD market's pretty much already gone. So the only people that are really gonna be making money in the CBD market and marijuana market moving forward are celebrities who already have a huge built-in presence where they can just pump their product to their audience or um, uh, whoever else I was talking about. What was I talking about there? I just lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, uh, just big brand names. Okay, okay yeah, so, yeah. So, the, so the other, um, besides celebrities, the other people that are gonna make make money in uh, in the CBD or marijuana world are the ones with deep pockets and big brands. So the ones you already know, the ones that are already in the stores, the brands that decide to then jump into the marijuana game or the CBD game, they're just gonna throw money at it. They're gonna gobble up the small farms, small processors. They're just gonna fold all that stuff into their own brand. So the heyday of making money on those two industries, CBD and marijuana, it's over. Like, it's over. Don't think that if you're listening to this and you think you're going to be a grower and make a bunch of money in CBD or marijuana, forget about it. Just absolutely forget about it. You're better off finding a celebrity or finding a big pers- a big corporation that would get behind a business presentation that you would have. You're better off doing that and uh, risking that future you know, off of those simple things rather than investing your future with your money and your time and your farm or whatever and going and growing it yourself without, without knowing what you're doing. The problem is people don't know how to sell it. So farmers, like I was a farmer, um, but I'm also all these other things. But all of the farmers that we were talking to on our show, they were just farmers. Yeah. So the year before, they were growing corn or soybeans or alfalfa. And so what do you do when you grow corn or soybeans or alfalfa? You know, not alfalfa, but what do you do when you grow corn or soybeans? After harvest, you take it down to the local co-op and then you sell it for what the market says you can sell it for. Well, there is no market for that, for CBD or marijuana. Right. There is no co-op, right? So you have to have connections to even be able to sell your product. And none of these farmers do. They think they just grow it and then it just sells. But no, that's not how, how it works. Yeah. By the time they heard of the green rush, they were too late. Way too late. Yeah. yeah. Man. So, so uh, that's where you think going minor cannabinoids, there's still an opening there, to, to make more money without as... I mean, probably still a lot of money, but without a celebrity known, you know, for now brands. Yeah, I mean, right. if, if someone really is listening to this now and they're like already dabbling into miners, um, go fast. You need to go fast and hard because that time is, that's an op- that's a window that's open right now, but it won't be open for long because once big pharma and big insurance get involved, that whole industry is gone. That will all be synthesized in a lab. You will find CBD compounds that are synthesized, not derived. So that's where it's all moving. So if people are thinking of making money on minor cannabinoids, it has to be now. It can't be like next year because next year could be too late. Wow. (laughs) It moves fast. People need your show, man. They need they, this needs to be out there. I'm telling you, like I, I have been pounding the pavement trying to talk to the right people, and yeah. you know, part of the problem is that whole I'm moving from being a director to now owning my own shows and now trying to sell these shows to streaming services or networks, and I'm finding the same thing I found with uh, my early investor um, opportunities is okay half of these people aren't who they say they are. Mm. <laughs> and one of those scammers was an executive producer that I brought onto my show, and it wasted six months of my time and my life and my money because this guy was like, oh yeah, dude, we've already got an offer from Discovery Channel, they're gonna pay you $200,000 an episode. 
they're going to pay you $200,000 an episode. Well, it was all bullshit. Like, the guy was a scammer. Yeah, gosh. And he had the great resume, great credentials, LinkedIn page built out. He even got a freaking IMDb page. Jeez. And scammer. Total scammer. Wow. Yeah. So so I wasted six months of my life believing this fool. And I guess I'm the fool, you know, for believing him. Um, so, yeah, it's like. I wish my stories were out there already, but yeah. it's trying to find the channel to get the story out there. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we're, you know, we're not giving up. I mean, that's, it's just might take time. Yeah. You know, we're starting time. small on off the dome yeah. radio yeah. right yeah. here. Yeah. This yeah. is yeah. a channel. Start small and then we yeah. get big. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the stuff right. business school doesn't right. teach you. It's yeah. The whole world. Man. People will take you at the drop of a hat and not look back twice. It's hard to know that people can sleep at night knowing that they've screwed you over. Yeah, I've been scammed before. Yeah, yeah it's it's cra- it's wild to me that I mean there are smart people in this world, yeah. like really creative smart people. But if you use it for evil things, like that's an example of yeah. what people can do. Yeah, so you gotta be careful. It's like that guy I was talking about that um, the one that's either gonna uh, give me my money back, uh, deal with the FBI, and then also have the show yeah. <laughs> about him made. Um, it's like. That dude is so smart. I brought one of my billionaire friends to the table with him. So my billionaire friend invested 450 grand with this guy. I put in 150. And so, I mean, you're fooling a billionaire. You're fooling a guy that interviews people for a living. Like if you were to take that evil mind and put it towards good, like what you're saying, imagine what you could have accomplished. Yeah. Fuck. Why. The shows would be out. It's the yeah. why. It's the yeah. why behind it. Seriously. Yeah. Yep. yeah, exactly. People just want that money, nothing else. Yep. <clears throat> Greed. Yep. And it's like if they if they waited one, two, three more years, their their money would be 10x what yeah. they stole. Right. And it's like if it's really about greed for you, just like hang on for a little bit. Yeah. Let them do what they do and then cash out when it's so much more than what you're going to steal for. Exactly. And so just less stressful. i got to imagine. Yeah. Even though they can sleep, they got to be stressed out. I mean, something's got to be wrong in their head. 100%. You know, they, it must be like a chemical imbalance, like the wires don't cross. The way the wire, way. the brain's wired, everyone's yeah. wired differently. Something, mm-hmm. something like you don't have that like EQ, the emotional like connection uh, yeah. to people. I mean, it's really strange, you know, um, got to wonder where that comes from. Right. Yeah. There's no concept of consequence. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he clearly thought nothing negative was going to happen right. as a result. Yeah. Before Ryan brings the wrath of God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's got no idea what's coming. Yeah. But yeah, he will. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's um the I I've not known you that long, but it's just fun to get to know you more and this is Thanks. this is fun for me. Like, yeah, we're doing a show and we got cameras that fuck up and run out of space and, <laughs> hey, but it's just this is so enjoyable yeah yeah so i really appreciate you sitting with us and taking the time and i know tim i don't know if you have any other questions before our last or ryan if there's anything else that you want to make sure we hit too that's probably a bad thing to ask me because <laughs> <laughs> right. i can talk yeah right. <laughs> so what's the, rogan's podcast are like three hours so we got like yeah three, two more we've yeah. uh so <laughs> we've yeah, had we got, we've had people we come on here minutes. for round twos too yeah, we've had yeah. we've had people come on two times we've had some people come on three times okay because like there are some people we talk to where we really can't do it all in one session sometimes. yeah so. exactly and we know people have other things to do yeah, yeah. like yeah. i know you have like sure. a, a 
noon meeting or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. But yeah, I know Tim's got meetings in Broad Ripple actually too. Yeah, yeah. but uh, well, I'd love to come back uh, on. Definitely. We can talk about anything. Like yeah, you know, you guys want to go down uh, current topics of the day. You know, just like That'd Joe awesome. does with his yeah. friends. Like I would totally be up for that. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, some nice whiskeys and. Oh yeah, right. we've yeah, yeah we've drank on the show before. We can do it. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty yeah. to unpack what we talk about today. We can we I would love to get a second one set up yeah. at some point. Oh yeah, cool. We'll, yeah. we'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, we'll, like an update. I'll hopefully have some positive updates. Definitely. Yeah. Where our shows are. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Tim, fire away here. Oh, I almost stole it last time. No, he actually he already kind of said it in the first sentence. So I'm gonna ask our original OG question. He kind of said Ooh, it. A little audible. Because our, our, our question that we've been doing lately is like if if you had a Wikipedia page or an mm. IMDb page, what would your first like sentence say? Oh, And you wow. already answered that in the first sentence. You said like husband. You kind of oh, already yeah. you already answered that. So I'm going to ask yeah. you like a, a different question to end. Uh, when it's all said and done, like how do you want to be remembered? Like what do you want your legacy to be? Like when, when your name comes up in conversation once your career is over, what do you want people to think about you or say about you? Well, as a human, I'd like people to think that I put others first. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like who I am. I I feel like um, I've demonstrated that I'm a selfless person mm-hmm. and that I don't think of myself or money. I think of others first and how I can help them. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of what I would like to be remembered for is just helping people. Yeah. You know? I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. And as a storyteller, it's a little different. It's mm-hmm. like as a storyteller... I would hope that some of my stories have made a difference. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you, man. Really appreciate thank you, you and your very friendship, much. your time. Thank yeah, you. this is uh, not the last one. Um, yeah, we're gonna have multiple rounds for sure. For sure. Cool. Uh, where can people find you? Website, social medias, things like that. Don't really do social media, but we do have a presence there. Um, uh, that's probably the next intern I'm going to get. Nice. <laughs> this is yeah. social media. Guy. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so we are, we're all over the place. You can find us on uh, Instagram mainly or Facebook. Uh, that's really, those are the, really the only two ones that we do. But um, we have uh, Instagram under Hemp Valley Colorado. Uh, also our farm, Colorado Valley Hemp. Okay. Then our, uh, my my personal one is probably the one that I'll end up populating more. That's just my name, Ryan, Ryan J. McKeever. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's really it. I mean, okay. we, we have some other little fun businesses. Like, you know, we, we, we do uh, bus builds and do, do like an Airbnb business with yeah. reclaimed school buses and stuff like that. So that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, and we'll we can, uh, when we create these show notes, we can plug in links to these sites, oh, cool. wherever, whatever you want us to link out, we can put in the show notes for you. Awesome. So that's a separate topic, but yeah. Okay. I need cool. to do better on marketing myself. I don't. We I'm, all can. We all can get better right. at that. I'm always mm-hmm. looking to help others and like never really focus. <laughs> you know, I do this great video for somebody else and I'm like, all right, I need to, I need like a business card or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, you, you, when our conversation today, some of the content we got, we really dug deep into like what makes you different compared to someone else, mm-hmm. like your work and your why behind like things and how you kind of progress. So we'll, we'll send you a lot of stuff that you can use. You can repurpose, cool. you can repurpose whenever you want to in the future. So awesome. Yeah, Thank like you. that'll be marketing content. You could write a blog about yeah. two sentences you said. Yeah. So yeah, what makes a good story? Yeah, yeah. love so, it. Stuff like I'll that. Give you all the shots, and you can make it umpteen different ways. Awesome. Yeah. So do you do blogging like as a service? We haven't offered it. 
I guess we could think no. about it. Because he and I both write a lot for our own businesses too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then because I create a lot of co- I create a lot of video content because I'm in the same boat as you. How can I help more people? How can I create more content? Yeah. So I've been just creating like TikTok and Instagram videos, like nice. short, actionable things that people can use to like Good. better their career. But okay. yeah, I've I've done some blog writing in the past. Like obviously resume writing. That's how I make my living. So I like doing writing any type of writing stuff. So okay. Yeah. Did it come back to life? <laughs> Mona, bitch. But yeah, well, no. I could talk to you about that too. Yeah, I definitely. need to redo my LinkedIn profiles and mm-hmm. um, all. Yeah, you know, it'd be great to have some. He's the guy. Yeah. Good writers too. We'll build it up, and we won't make it a scam like that cool. guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know where to find you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's been in my house. Too, yeah. So. Nice. Yes. Keep it honest on this one. Yeah. Everybody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, All right, everyone. Thanks for hanging. Thanks for listening. Go check out Ryan and his storytelling. Uh, Until next time, we are out of here. Peace.